Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. March is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, and if you didn't know it, the guidelines that used to start at age 50 have been revised. Most people over the age of 45 are most likely eligible to consider colon cancer screening. And here to tell us why this is important and also what some of our American Cancer Society colleagues are doing right here in the islands to help those who are affected by cancer, I have two guests this evening. I have Dr. Ian Okazaki. He is an oncologist at Straub Medical Center with over three decades decades of experience. And I also have Elizabeth Case. She is the Senior Development Manager of the American Cancer Society in the Hawaii Guam office. And together, we're going to be having a very important discussion this evening about colon cancer awareness, why we need to get screened, how many people actually are diagnosed each year, and how catching this early could, in fact, be the most important test that you could do to make sure that you can hopefully be cured from this illness. Now, starting off, Dr. Okazaki, you've been in practice for many years. And, you know, I have to tell you, I was kind of surprised when colon cancer screening reduced the age range from age 50 to age 45. This happened in the last couple of years. Why did this take place? Multiple reasons, Kathy. Um, one one reason is that... Um, the original screening target age was at age 50. Um, but we were missing a small but significant percentage of the colon cancers that occur a little earlier. And um, other reasons, you know, perhaps associated with the fact that we're seeing earlier colon cancers is the, you know, the, you know, the you know, Western lifestyle, the, the, the lifestyle that we have here, particularly in the U.S., and Western world um, has to do with physical activity and diet and exposure. And uh, those kinds of things increase the risk of developing colon polyps and colon cancer. And so it makes sense to push the age down just a tad um, so that you can catch things early. And like most cancers, early detection typically means cure. Now, Elizabeth, you were talking to me earlier mentioning how many people get diagnosed every year, and it seemed like a fairly large number. So what we're looking at for um, 2022 is an estimated news cases in the state of Hawaii of 7,730. So that's per year. Wow. So 7,700, that's a huge number of folks. Do most of these people get diagnosed in early stages or do they get diagnosed in advanced stages? Dr. Okazaki? It's unfortunately it's a mixed bag, and um, it has to do with um, again the early detection and to, to some extent prevention. So many folks who have never been screened before present with later stage disease. Um, it would have been caught earlier with screening, but um, th- such as such as the way of of uh, medicine these days. So I think the primary care providers are all encouraging their patients to get get looked at early, you know, at age 45 and and above so that they can catch things early. Now, there's different types of colorectal cancer screening. So what are some of the 
types. Everybody, you know, well, most people have heard about colonoscopy. It requires a prep the day before, and you come in the next day, and they take a look in your colon with a scope to make sure that they don't see anything. Or if they do, they identify what those areas are and maybe take polyps out. What are some of the other methods of colon cancer screening? Well, so, you know, Kathy, in your, in your clinic, in your practice, you do this all the time because these are the, the, the primary care providers are the ones in, on the front line, and they are responsible for you know, doing the, the cancer screening, not just colon cancer screening, but all, all kinds of cancer screening. So colonoscopy, as you mentioned, is probably the best test because of the direct visualization. They, they use a fiber optic scope, which is a very small caliber, flexible scope that goes from the uh, rectum up the, through the, the colon. Uh, most of our patients are um, sedated during the procedure. Um, the colonoscopy requires that there's a preparation the, the day beforehand, meaning that the, there needs to be a clean out of the colon. And then the day of the procedure, um, the patient gets sedated and then the scope gets in there. There's a camera that actually looks at all the the lining of the colon from the beginning to the end. And it's set up so that if there are bumps or polyps that we see in the colon, the endoscopist will remove them at the time. And then those polyps then get looked at under the microscope to determine whether they're benign or perhaps malignant. Um, The other tests um, include stool-based tests. So there's one that's looking for blood in the stool. And the... You don't necessarily have to see blood. You can do these tests on the stool, and it can de- detect uh, small amounts or microscopic amounts of blood. And there's a few of these different types of options that are available, and some of them are actually advertised on TV. Um, another um, endoscopy procedure is called the flexible sigmoidoscopy. So this is using the same type of scope. It's shorter, but it looks at the, the left side of the colon because it, it's, uh, it goes up to the sigmoid colon, sometimes a little beyond. To, to check for, for polyps. And then uh, there's a radiology-based screening tool called CT colography. It's a CT scan, or as, as it's known, a CAT scan, um, where usually, the again, the colon is prepped, and then they um, would in, insert or inject a contra, you know, contrast material into the colon, and then pictures are taken, x-ray pictures are taken of the colon, so you can see the contours of the lining of the colon to look for polyps. So those are the all accepted acceptable ways of screening. Um, some are better than others, but the key key thing is that uh, the screening gets done. I would say with a flexible sigmoidoscopy, because you're only looking at the left side of the colon, uh, the, the, if you're going to miss the the middle part and the right side of the colon by just doing a flexible sigmoidoscopy, there are some situations where that's all the patient can tolerate, and that's why that's an acceptable method. Well, and it sounds like regardless of what type of method there's there's a whole gamut and some of those can be done even in the comfort of your own home you mentioned some of the stool-based kits and that's something you can take home you can do the key is that you want to talk with your with your primary care provider find out what your risk is if you have a family member who's been diagnosed at a young age you probably are at an increased risk yourself and you might need to do the colonoscopy if you have no additional risk you might be able to do some of the home testing so a lot of that depends on your risk and that depends on your family and 
also depends on you and your health status as well. So I know that there are a variety of different ways that we look at that. And, you know, you mentioned earlier that polyps are something that we find. Not all polyps are cancerous, but does most cancer start as a polyp? That would be true. I think um, almost all cancers have their origins in a polyp. So a polyp is really just an overgrowth of the lining, the cells that line the intestine, and they form a little little bump, or you know, I guess you could imagine it like a little mushroom. And they're very tiny, and they can, with time, they can grow. And um, as they grow, the the cells that that are line the surface of that polyp um, can change, and they can become a little irregular. That we call atypical. Then they then they can become abnormal looking under the microscope. We call that dysplasia. And then at, after that point, then they become malignant. So there's a series of events that happens. Um, at, from normal colon tissue to the development of polyp and then to the development of colon cancer. So catching them early is going to prevent them from before they even get to be abnormal cells. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about what happens if you do get diagnosed with cancer and what is the next step. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Honolulu Waldorf School. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Ian Okazaki. He is an oncologist at Straub Medical Center with over three decades of experience in the field of oncology. And I also have Elizabeth Case. She is the Senior Development Manager of the American Cancer Society, Hawaii, Guam office. And today we're talking about March being Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. Right before the break, we talked a little bit about the types of cancers that, or the types of screening that you can do. And and now, you know, I'd be curious, Dr. Okazaki, if you get diagnosed with cancer, there's a variety of different treatments ranging from remove the polyp if you catch it early to remove part of the colon. What are some of the basic types of treatments that are available for colon cancer? So the um, you can have very early colon cancers that are just growing on the polyp, and that those can be removed through the with the scope, just by removing the, the polyp itself, the, the endoscopist, usually a gastroenterologist, sometimes will mark or place a little uh, ink dye where the polyp was so that it can be tracked over the course of time when the colonoscopy is repeated. Um, if the cancer is larger or if it's starting to grow into the, 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 the stalk or the base of the polyp, then there's a risk of the cancer then spreading into the colon wall itself and even beyond. Those situations require the, the surgeon to remove a, typically a segment of the bowel, and that requires surgery. Lots of the surgeries are done, you know, they have more high-tech um, techniques where they use these uh, scopes and robots where they can remove part of the, the colon. It makes the, the sur- surgical recovery a lot faster. Removing the colon does require that there's tissue around the colon that is also removed because that we have lymph nodes in those areas. Lymph nodes are little, little bean-shaped um, deposits that are part of our immune system, and the cancer cell cancer cells can spread through the lymph channels into the lymph nodes. And if you can catch the cancer in the lymph nodes, then it'll it'll tell you how much spread there there has been partly. Um, 
if there is cancer that's removed in the by surgery and they they check the lymph nodes, that will then determine um, what next needs to be done. There, uh, typically, if there's more advanced cancer, meaning through the wall into the lymph nodes, we typically do recommend chemotherapy treatments after that to lower the risk of the cancer showing up again. So those are all standard, you know, treatments for uh, colon cancer. And uh, it's, it's meant to help to prevent the recurrence. So colon cancer in the colon may be spread to the lymph nodes around the colon, still considered curable with surgery and uh, for those folks with lymph node involvement, chemotherapy. Once the colon cancer spreads out beyond the lymph nodes into other organs or other areas in the body, then it's, we, that's called a stage four cancer. It's typically not curable, but it is treatable, and there are different you know, modalities for that kind of treatment. And there are some folks who actually do um, enjoy uh, long-lasting survival as long as the cancer is treated properly and you have some special techniques where you sometimes can, can get in there and, and, you know, get cancer spots out that are in different parts of the body as long as it's not uh, spread too, too far. So the key really is catch it early because the treatment could actually be a lot less significant or easier to tolerate if you do catch it at an earlier stage. Uh, now, there's a lot of difficulties for some people once they get diagnosed with cancer managing to deal with some of the treatments, particularly for some of our patients who happen to live on the neighbor islands. Uh, Elizabeth, tell me a little bit about some of the great work that the American Cancer Society does to help support patients who happen to have some needs when they have to travel back and forth to Oahu for treatments? Yeah, our uh, regional office, Hawaii Guam, uh, supports uh, patients uh, across the state and Guam and even some of our Pacific islands. Um, Primarily, we do a lot of, well, we fund research and we do a lot of educating and some advocacy work to make sure we're getting that funding um, federally and supporting the funding for our our University of Hawaii Cancer Center. Um, But our services, actually, we have what we call Hope Lodge Hawaii, um, provides free lodging and transportation. It's located in Honolulu. Um, Just downtown, you wouldn't even know it's a little oasis downtown. Um, And if you you can be referred by your provider to uh, stay there with your caregiver if you need to come to Honolulu for treatment. And we can help you with the transportation as well through our partnership with Hawaiian Airlines. Well, that sounds amazing. I know a lot of folks who are on the neighbor islands sometimes have to come to Oahu for treatments, maybe for an extended period of time because of whether it be chemotherapy or radiation or something else that may only be available here for whatever the situation may be. And, you know, sometimes they need to have caregivers. So that's one of the amazing ways that the American Cancer Society helps to support cancer patients. You mentioned that Hope Lodge is right here in downtown Honolulu and that federal funding is available, but there are some unique ways that you do local funding as well. Is that right? Yes. Every year we have our Hope Gala. Uh, it's uh, We have one in Honolulu, and we also have a Hope Fest on Maui. 
Uh, this year, our Hope Gala Honolulu will be on May 7th at the Sheraton Waikiki Ballroom. It's a wonderful event. It's uh, for over 300 um, guests. We have uh, we'll, our, we have a different theme every year. This is our ninth annual Hope Gala, um, and our theme this year is Midnight in Waikiki. So we'll have some wonderful Hawaiian entertainment, some really fun silent and live auction items, lots of hotel and travel, and things everybody wants to get into uh, post-COVID. Um, and we, you know, 100% of those funds raised at Hope Gala go to funding Hope Lodge Hawaii. So it's all kept in the state. Now, for those folks who might want to attend but have still been keeping things in a virtual environment, are there opportunities for them as well? Yes, we have our website, Hope Gala Honolulu. Um, one thing that we'll have on our website is some opportunities to fund Hope Lodge, kind of um, what we call a giving tree where um, you might, you know, provide $100 that would give uh, a pair of guests one week at Hope Lodge. Or, you know, 500 will provide 20 guests transportation um, to their treatment. So it's a way of giving to Hope Lodge directly that will be right on our website and um, hopefully some silent and live auction items as well. Now, ACS also sponsors, the American Cancer Society sponsors the Relay for Life every year as well. Yes, we have Relay for Life on, on many islands. We have a Relay for Life of Oahu that will be um, in person this year. We're looking at November of 2022. We're very excited to be in person again. It's a wonderful event. It celebrates um, lives of, of, of cancer patients, survivors, and their caregivers. So it's really a coming together of everybody um, to celebrate um, and remember. We have a wonderful luminaria ceremony that remembers uh, those who we've lost to cancer um, and really a, just a coming together in a rally to fight cancer. All right. Well, these all sound like amazing ways that we can support those who are afflicted by cancer in their community. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll be right back after this quick break, and we'll talk some more about colorectal cancer awareness and what other types of cancer might be something that screening might have been missed over the last couple of years of COVID. And it's time to get back in and think about taking care of those tests. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Ulupono Initiative. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have special guests on the line, Dr. Ian Okazaki, an oncologist at Straub Medical Center. He has over three decades of experience in the field of oncology. And Elizabeth Case, she is the Senior Development Manager of the American Cancer Society Hawaii Guam Office. 
And right before the break, we were talking about some amazing opportunities to help participate in helping to support the cancer patients here in the islands with the Hope Lodge, which is available to individuals who need assistance when they happen to live elsewhere and they come to Oahu for treatment, but also exciting events like the Hope Gala and the Relay for Life. Now, I'm curious... We talked a little bit, Dr. Okazaki, about the young age to start colon screening being at age 45. What are the upper limits? For whom should they no longer be concerned about doing colon screening? And why are there upper limits? That's um, There's no um, easy answer for that. There's no hard and fast rules for that. In general, we base you know screening on actually the the, uh, the functional status of each individual patient. So you might have a 70 or 75-year-old in great shape and who's uh, quite uh, robust, um, in, in which case many of, a lot of the screening tends to fall off after that age. But when, they're, when their life expectancy is perhaps another 10 years or more, it may be worthwhile to continue the this, this screening, you know, provided it's, it's acceptable to the patient as well. Um, because, again, catching something early is way more effective and efficient than uh, you know, having something develop. And later on, treating someone who is older at that point and perhaps maybe less likely able to tolerate some of the treatments that are required to, to deal with the cancer. So that's interesting. It's an individual evaluation. You could be somebody who has major medical problems heart-wise or, or kidney-wise and not even be 70 and maybe not able to tolerate screening testing. But then you've also got folks who could be spry at 80 and doing fantastic, and you'd want to catch it early because you wouldn't want to have a problem with tolerating treatments. That's that's another Another reason to consider the individualized approach and talking with your doctor about your life expectancy and your family and did everybody happen to live to graciously over 100, which happens in some folks, you know, lucky for their families that that is the case. If you're in I good think health, for the you general, know. the general listener, the, you know, the, we call it the, the average risk folks. These are the folks that are, you know, you would start screening at 45 and older. Um, and these are folks that don't have a history of polyps or aggressive appearing polyps. They don't have a history of colorectal cancer. There's no uh, conditions called inflammatory bowel disease. Those are, you know, inflammatory conditions of the colon. Uh, there are no genetic syndromes, and there are no, there's no family history of colorectal cancer, and that includes first through third uh, degree, you know, relatives. And so, you know, it, 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 uh, it'll, average risk would eliminate certain but, you know, having some of those conditions would eliminate some of those folks as having average risk, in which case the screening would be modified for folks that are considered higher risk. Well, and the idea, as you've both mentioned, is catch it early. Much easier to handle, to treat, and hopefully to reduce the risk of recurrence if you catch something in an earlier stage than if you happen to catch it when it's later. Now, I'm curious... Elizabeth and or Dr. Okazaki, in the last couple of years, people have been missing some screening testing due to COVID. Are we seeing people come in with more advanced cancers because they just haven't felt 
comfortable or haven't had an opportunity to do cancer screening throughout the last couple of years? Well, so we do know that uh, the screening uh, was missed uh, nationwide. Screening has been missed because of COVID, and that's, that's a two-year, two you know, almost three-year gap. And now is the time, because there's a, you know, a lull in the cases and the, the hospitals are, hospital numbers are down, now is the time for everyone to catch up, and it's really important to connect with your primary care provider and to, to catch up with all kinds of screening, including colorectal and the other thing that's really important, because catching early and perhaps even preventing is key, so our folks, particularly here in the islands, can adhere to some lifestyle changes that would make a big difference in uh, reducing the risk of colorectal cancer, such as stopping smoking, like for lots of cancers, but also you know, make sure you have good physical activity and you're eating well, including fruits and vegetables. Those have been shown to fruits and vegetables have been shown to reduce the risk of colorectal cancer. So as long as we're getting well-balanced meals with fruits and vegetables, physical activity, and, of course, you know, weight reduction and, you know, moderate, uh, you know, reducing alcohol consumption and, and uh, um, surprisingly, well, maybe not surprisingly, red meat and processed meat because of fat content and, you know, chemicals, those are also considered risks. So lots of things that anybody can do. And this may not just help with colon cancer, it could help, I would imagine, physical activity, not smoking, eating healthy. These can help with, with any cancer that someone might develop, that there are some beneficial effects of of keeping yourself as healthy as possible that can really reduce your risk of all cancer. That's right. It would be lovely if people uh, could follow our American Cancer Society Hawaii Guam Facebook page, because next month is um, our Health Awareness Month, where we'll have lots of tips for everybody. Well, and that's another way to sort of have that integrated into your daily practices to get those reminders. I know every time I get a reminder, either on social media or on a text message or something, it's like, oh, that's right. I have to go make sure I do X, Y, or Z. That's really healthy for me. So, you know, everybody can can definitely benefit from some of the reminders. Now, Elizabeth, you mentioned that there's going to be some information on the website what is the American Cancer Society website for the Hawaii chapter? Well, we have an amazing website, cancer.org, and then they'll just uh, enter their zip code and be able to find our regional office. And otherwise, um, we also have our hopegalahonolulu.org um, website, which uh, will tell them a little bit more about our upcoming event and um, how they can support Hope Lodge Hawaii. Wonderful. And Hope Lodge, that's been around for how many years now? Well, this is our fifth uh, anniversary celebration this year, so we're, we're very excited to celebrate this milestone. We opened in 2016. It's actually our ninth gala, so obviously did a lot of fundraising just to get this open so um, we're going to be really celebrating that fifth um, anniversary. And an amazing opportunity. If somebody felt they needed to consider utilizing some of those services, how would they find out more about it? Do they get referred by their oncologist, by their primary care provider? What's the process? Yeah, we uh, we work with the referring providers. We we try to get the word out to all of the providers about the service. Um, so that would be the first um, step for them. And, but certainly, 
calling, um, I mean, you know, visiting our cancer.org website um, is, is, a, is fast for them. Wonderful. I think it definitely is such a great opportunity for anybody who is concerned about getting treatment, who needs to have that take place on Oahu, and who is concerned about transportation and lodging. You mentioned it's for an individual and their caregiver as well. Is that right? Yeah, because it's meant to be a home away from home. Um, it's it's such a beautiful, caring, supportive environment. It's about peer support. So you're going through um, your journey, your cancer treatment with others also going through their cancer treatment. So it's not a nursing facility, so it's a lodging facility, but our staff is there to support you and you can bring your caregiver with you. So that, that makes all the difference to have that support with you. Well, I would agree. Having the support of your family, but also having the support of wonderful oncology doctors that have as their mission to take care of all of the cancer patients here in Oahu and provide them with the best opportunity to treat their condition. I want to thank both of you for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org, follow the links to The Body Show. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. See you next week right here on HBR.